0: You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join in the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Okay, thanks for staying with us on Real Presence Live. I'm Jack Canelli, and with me is my wife, Doreen, as my co-host, and... Um, Before we get to our next guest, if you enjoy what you're listening to or you have to cut short your listening, uh, the programming that you're listening to is available on podcast and uh, on the website for Real Presence Radio, and that's realpresenceradio.com, and you can go there. You can listen to former programs or prior programs. You can uh, submit a prayer request. You can make a donation, all sorts of things. So uh, go there and uh, check it out. And uh, Dreen at the uh, the start of the program, we were kind of teasing the audience with uh, the, the, uh, the uh, prospect of some jokes. And I don't want to disappoint them. And I'm sure that if we go any further, uh, we're probably going to get some phone calls. So
1: <laughs> I'm sure we will. Yeah. All right, so here's the first joke and of the we'll... morning. Either one of you can answer this joke oh, good, if, you, good. if you know the answer. What does a gingerbread man use to keep his bed warm? I'm
0: saying toast. They have no idea.
1: A cookie sheet.
0: <laughs> Drumroll, please. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> all right well let's let's get to our guest after all this hilarity. We'll just let the laughter dry yeah. down though for yeah. just a few seconds and then so people can hear what we're yeah. you know the radio yes. anyway, we have with us Deacon Stu Longton. Good morning, who is a deacon with the uh, Diocese of Fargo and uh, are you assigned still at Saint Anthony's? Anthony's? okay yep. mm-hmm. but uh, you have a particular ministry that you've been involved in that I think will be of interest to our, our listeners.
2: Yes, uh, even long before I was uh, assigned to St. Anthony's uh, during formation, I was uh, asked by the pastor, Father Ermer, if I would uh, go out and minister to uh, Catholic inmates at our county jail. Our county jail at that time could hold possibly 60 inmates. It was built in 1906, and it was very antique and uh, went to a new jail facility and now they have room for 356 inmates at any given time. However, they're very seldom at capacity. Um, I'd gone out there (coughs) um, as a result of a a Catholic corrections officer who made sure that I was uh, fully uh, registered with the uh, Protestant director who had been there for years. And uh, it worked out really well, uh, both for me and for the inmates. And an interesting thing happened, or well, several interesting things happened. Um, I found out that when I went out, to, I was going out there, I went to see a Catholic priest who'd been a uh, chaplain at a state prison for six years, and I asked him, is there any books I can read? Is there anything I can take in college here, go back to school and, and learn about this? And he said, nope. He says, e, you'll go two or three times. If you got it, you'll keep going. If you don't have it, You won't go. The Holy Spirit will determine (laughs) this. Okay, thanks, Father. But I will tell you two things. He said, one, when you walk out of the facility every day, try and figure out which 50% of what you just heard you can believe, because they will lie to you. And secondly, you have to realize that 95% of the population in any correction facility is there because of drugs and alcohol. So I went in and started working, and an amazing thing happened. I'm a talker. And uh, I, I love describing things. I'm, I, I do it too much, and that's one of my faults. But when I walk in there, all of a sudden, I'm the listener. The Holy Spirit does a good job. And I decide all I do is ask questions. I never ask why they're there. Just, hey, when I first meet a guy who wants to talk to me, hi, where, where are you from? Oh, what's your family? Any brothers or sisters? Oh, what do you, what do, you do? You know, that type of thing. And that really helped them warm up uh, to letting their hearts out. But again, I did realize walking out, uh, the 50% rule did apply. But I, f- I realized why. A lot of the people that are in trouble, a lot of the people who are in trouble with the law, are there because of <sighs> lying. They've been lied to for a good part of their life. They have been um, told, uh, told lies, they've been uh, untruths, and they have this, not all of them, but a good number of them have the idea that my goal is to tell this new person what he wants to hear rather than the truth. And so consequently, you get um, you know, they have a false representation of, of, of life, of their own life, and they, it gets confusing for them. And the more confusing it is, the easier the devil has to grab hold of them. Second thing about the reason people are in the facility, father was completely wrong on that one. Those are symptoms of what really caused the people to be in trouble, and that was dysfunctional families. I only ran into, in nine years of active um, participation on a daily basis at the prison or jail, at various jails, one person who was able to tell me they had a wonderful mother and a father who cared for him and just loved him dearly. But the problem was he had a car accident and traumatic brain injury, and that changed his behavior. Okay? So put those two things together, dysfunctional families, so you don't have a good sense of right and wrong and responsibility and a sense of family, and you're put out into the world and it causes confusion. And that's where the lying comes from, too, from the dysfunctional families. And so I began to pray for for, uh, these people. And over the years, I uh, had from 2000 to 2009 been there just about every day. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, when I went to uh, work for St. Anthony's uh, as uh, outreach director, um, I told the jail staff I wouldn't be out there on a daily basis anymore, but I would come out when needed. They had a little cake for me when they knew I was coming out, and all the corrections officers uh, that could leave the pods came into the break room, and they gave me a cake and a certificate that if I ever had to go to jail, I had a certificate that said I'd spent three years in the county jail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you get credit for time served. (laughs) Credit credit for
2: time served. Paying it forward. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I would get calls in the middle of the night to 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 go to the jail. I remember I was being interrupted. about 1 o'clock in the morning, my phone rang. My cell phone rang up, uh, when we were staying up at the um, the Queen of Peace. And it was the jail calling, and one of the guys who I was close to in the jail. His son had died on the operating table. And so I left it there, and I went over to the jail, and they walked in, and uh, he was a Latino fellow, and very close to his family, and I, I, I had to give him the bad news. And uh, that was very hard. But um, I stayed there till about 6 in the morning, went back. Well, took a shower, got ready, went back to class that day. It was great. Didn't, wasn't tired all day. That's the, from that to uh, the daily, uh, I want you to deliver something for me, and I, and I can't mail it. They won't let me send this out. I said, no, I can't do that type of mm-hmm. thing. But I would say in, the, in jail ministry gave me a great lift. Um, there are many times that I walked out of that facility thanking God because I got more out of that afternoon or that morning or that day than I gave, I
0: felt. Ken, I've I've got a question in my mind, and I think maybe some of our listeners do too, but I'm kind of asking you to step away kind of from the ministerial aspects. What is it like just to get in there? Because you're getting, you know, kind of, you get to go in the common areas. What's it like when you walk in the door? What is the security like, and where are you, you know, with you know, the inmates that you're visiting. Are you in kind of in a common area, or do you have to go off to a special? Okay.
2: Well, first of all, to get in there, I had to fill out a lot of paperwork. And they do a background check, for a legal background check. And then the uh, chaplains that are in charge of it, they want to find out what kind of faith you have. And um, uh, being led by a Protestant group, um, I came in as a Catholic. And I remember I answered the question and said, when were you saved? And I put February 13, 1951 on there.
1: Your baptism date? Exactly.
2: And uh, the, I remember the head chaplain asked me, he says, well, wh- wh- how old are you? And I said, well, I'm, I told him the age. He said, well, when were, you, when were you born? I said, I was born a previous January. Well, you can't be saved then. I said, yeah. And I explained to him how my, my godparents, my uncle and aunt, said the words for me. They spoke for me. Uh, that was the moment I was saved. Yeah. And now it's up to me from that point on to live the life to guarantee that. They received the gift on your behalf. Exactly, and he. Oh, oh, okay. And um, the the uh, that we had a great discussion over that one. And then um, the uh, passing that, then I was allowed in, and um, it got to the point where I'd go in, go to the front desk, ask for my badge. He gave you a badge. to Go in, and I'd go beep in, and they all knew me. I mean, by the time nine years goes by, I mean. I'd come on Ash Wednesday of in investments years later, and I would go pod to pod and uh, telling them word, I'm, I'm going to be back in 20 minutes or a half hour, and anybody who wants to receive ashes be over in this corner of the pod. What's the pod? Uh, pods are cell blocks. They don't okay. call them cell blocks anymore, but they're doors, no bars, they're heavy doors. And uh, so a pod, uh, the main pods can hold, I think, 36 each. In the smaller pods, proportionately. But there are areas where they have uh, fixed chairs, television, uh, they can walk, mm-hmm. um, and that type of thing. And then there's always a corrections officer inside the pod if there's anybody outside their cells. And uh, so that's getting in there. And that was not too difficult. The, uh, and then as time went on, I would you know come out to the jail go in and have uh, uh, conversations with people who had sent in kites, they called them. That's an acronym for I'd like to see a chaplain. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were times that I would uh, be involved in some pretty, uh, you know, guy would start, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. Hold, oh, hold, hold, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> no, I'm not a priest. I, I can hear your confession, but I can't give you absolution. And there's another thing that is a problem, and if you tell me something, I need to report the authorities. I have to. That's my, my goal. I'm, I don't have that faculty or that privilege for... The seal uh, of confession. The seal of confession. I don't have that. Oh. Well, many times they'd go on anyway, and it wasn't a, you know, anything like that. And I said, okay, good practice. And I'd call Father uh, LaCroix, who was the chaplain at Shanley, and he was so gracious to come whenever I asked him to. One day I said, Father, what are you doing Thursday? Well, I got this. anything else? Well, no, I'm pretty free that day. Good, because I had 26 guys who wanted to go to confessional. <laughs> <laughs> he was wow. there all day. And wow. he'd, he'd come out for a break, and uh, I'd go over to the kitchen until the kitchen staff was going on. And some inmate would come down with a tray of you know cookies and milk and whatever, and, and, you because know, the priest was here, and, and gosh, this is great. And uh, I'd say, how's it going? He says, they're great ones. They're really, nice. mm-hmm. really nice. Wow. And uh, I mentioned to you, Jack, uh, or actually to Teresa, about the reason that I think it was so meaningful to be there was I was participating in an opportunity for somebody to change their hearts. As a matter of fact, uh, during my nine years at the jail, there are five guys that I I can't remember all of their names, but they're number one, number two, number three, and number four, number five, who have turned around their life completely. Now, that's out of the thousands that I met. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there are hundreds more, but... These guys stayed in touch with me, and every once in a while, they'll get a call from northern Minnesota, six miles from the Canadian border. Deacon, it's number five. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, Barry? He said, well, this, this, and this. He, he, he mills lumber, he makes cabinets, and he'll do custom milling for people. And, and, and he's turned his life around. Another one, the first one, number one, uh, I've stayed in contact with him. Last fall, I was putting soffit in on my second story of my house, Old wooden soffit was riding out, I put in metal. And all of a sudden, I see a car driving in the driveway, and a guy gets out, it's number one. <laughs> Jesse, how are you? And I get down, and he says, I want to show you something. So he brings me to the back of the car, shows me a little three-week-old baby.
0: Oh, my. Aww.
2: It's his seventh child. He says, this time, I'm going to do it right. And he has basically told the, the, the courts that even if his wife... Who did not want to have the child when she found she was pregnant? She wanted to do an abortion. Jesse said, Oh, we can't do that. And basically said, I'll be here. I don't care what it takes. I'll be here. And uh, he said, He told the courts who wanted to take the child away and said, No, this is my son. And I will raise him. I don't care what it takes. So he's doing two jobs right now. And you know, you go from that range, that's the joy. Mm-hmm. That's a joy, but there are thousands out there whose eyes have been opened and their hearts have turned and that's what i'm so thankful for having an opportunity now with this recently and working at saint anthony's we arranged a sunday service we don't have mass there but we <clears throat> the there's a group of women that would go out to the jail on uh s- s- second and fourth sundays and then the men go first third and fifth sundays and we hold a service there and uh the way the way that I do it is, you know, we'll go through the service and then during a homily, it's it's a two way thing, and a lot of guys will ask questions. And sometimes it's really enjoyable to see these same guys come, and then they'll look me up afterwards. You know, they'll come over to the church or they'll call me, and uh, usually asking for some help or maybe uh, can I come over and pray with you? Yes, anytime, no problem. We can do that, and that that's another time when you see the hearts turn.
1: Deacon, um, as you as you're talking, I'm thinking about the you know the spiritual or the corporal works of mercy, and that one being when I was in prison, you visited me yeah. or visit the imprisoned. Um, and then I think about all the paperwork and and everything you have to do to visit those who are in prison. Minor, it's a, minor. It's paperwork. minor. <laughs> is it? small notebook? Don't worry uh-huh. about it. <laughs> but a person, a person can't just go to the prison and say, "I want to visit."
2: Well. Yes, so, how we do we
1: live that corporal work of mercy? Okay,
2: well, what I would do is contact your priest or uh, a deacon that may be doing this. Find out who it mm-hmm. is. Go to them and see if you can get on the team. Now, um, in my parish in the last, well, since 2000 when I started first going there, that's 20 years, ago. Oh, my gosh, 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good Norwegian thing. Yeah. Ufta. <laughs> <huh? laughs> um, uh, <sighs> <laughs> yeah, <I> go talk. It's story, yeah. Yeah, the funny thing about that is that there were two or three men in my parish who, at different times, came to me and said, "Deacon, I'd like to try this." Okay, great. And I'd bring them out with me, get them all, you know, all the paperwork and everything, and to get them out there, and they'd go with me, and maybe four or five times, and then they'd say, "I think I can do this." Okay, great. Knock yourself out, but. Unfortunately, usually two or three visits later, they've come, Deacon. I don't think I'm fit for this. This is not my thing. And I'd say, I say, understand, no problem, no hard feelings. Mm-hmm. But sooner or later, somebody else
0: will come along. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, don't let me break your stride too much here, but I just want to remind our listeners: you're listening to Real Presence Live, and we're having a wonderful conversation with Deacon Stu Longton, who is with uh, a permanent deacon with the Diocese of Fargo, and we're talking about his uh, prison ministry uh, experiences.
1: I just think it's so beautiful that you, you mentioned that, you know, you are at the service of these men and women mm-hmm. who are incarcerated, but that you walk away with the blessings. True. Yeah. yeah. I, I would think
0: though, you know, we are talking about earlier about, you know, 50% of what you hear might not be true. Yeah. You know, I'm, I imagine there are some frustrations and, you know, difficulties with that sort of thing. What are some of the Okay, frustrations you've experienced. Not a lot of frustrations
2: because I recognize it. Yeah, But there have been a couple of blessings. Um, one guy came in, and I'd been seeing him for some time, about four months. And I probably met him at least once a week for four months. This is back before 2009. And uh, I remember John came in, and he started telling me a story. And I go, oh, John, you don't have to lie to me. You can tell me the truth, or you don't have to tell me what you're telling me. But don't lie to me. He looked at me, so I'm not lying. I looked him in the eyes. And said, "John, you're lying, and I know it. But let's go talk about this." And I didn't. And we went on, went on, went on, went on. And at the end, I said, "Well, John, you know, you got to get back in your cell now, and I got to go. I'm going over to another pod." And he said, "How did you know? Tell me, how did you know?" And he, I mean, this had worked on his heart. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: And I said look, I've been doing this for a long time. I said, don't you think the Holy Spirit is going to help me when when times like this come around? And he goes, oh, okay. Well, after that, <laughs> I remember a couple of guys uh, came. Actually, it was number two who came. No, number three, actually. It was number three came to me. And he says, boy, you got a reputation here. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, these guys are paranoid that they talk to you now. I said, what do you mean? He says, some of them realize that, you can tell the truth when somebody's talking to you (laughs) and that you have this gift from God. And I said, well, it's not a gift from God. It's just common sense. (laughs) And he goes, well, what do you mean? I says, when are you getting out? He says, well, and such and such. Come look me up and I'll tell you how this happened. So he came and he told me three months later. Mm -hmm. He'd gotten out, got back to his job. He's a cook, great cook. And I got out. And he came to me, and he said, I do want to know how you do this. I said, well, John, I said, have people lied to you before? Well, yeah, sure. I said, do the lies change over time? Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. The truth does not change, but lies do. And I said, eventually, you'd hear this story being convoluted time after time after time after time, and you just, you know, he's involved in it, but in different ways each time, and you just know that what he's telling you is not the truth. And and uh, besides, a lot of times the corrections officers, I would be able to get information from them, saying, "Yeah, this is his fifth time or the sixth time or whatever the case may be." And it didn't correspond with what the guy was telling me. And so I could look him in the eye and say, "I know you're lying. Don't just don't do it." I said, "Let's go on and talk about let's talk about hunting or <laughs> fishing or something." You know. <laughs> yeah, the
0: the deacon who reads souls yes, right. right. And he can't hear confession. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Wow. Were there any times when you've been fearful?
2: Oh, yes, yes. I got a call one day to go out there with this very Catholic corrections officer who had gotten me in there originally. This was probably a year after I got started. And it was a guy who had gone into a savings and loan and tried to rob a savings and loan. And the lady says, we don't have any cash here. We don't deal in cash. It's a one-horse operation. And so he clubbed her and put her in the hospital. And she for oh, several weeks, couldn't move her legs because of where he hit her on the back of her head, nerves affecting her legs. And uh, it was a vicious beating. And he's in the, uh, they said, we need to talk to this guy. And it's in what we call the rubber room. It's padded walls, and they don't have a cot there. It's a cement block. I mean, it's poured concrete, and there's a pad on there that they can lay on. And they take the clothes, and they give them... Uh, a, uh, what, what did you call a suit? A straight straight jacket. straight jacket, yeah, only it's padded and it's so clumsy to wear. And he's in that. And uh, he said, Well, you can talk to him through the food port. And I said, No. I said, I won't talk to anybody through a food port. You can let me in. I'll be all right. And at that time, I was six foot, 260 in darn good shape. And uh, so I didn't worry about it too much. And I stood in there. There's no chairs. And I said, How can I help you? And he turned his head at me. He says, Can you do an exorcism on me? I said, No, I can't. I would have to get this exorcist to come in and do that. Do you think you need one? And he turns his head, yes, I do. And he looks down, and he looks up. He says, would any of the Protestant chaplains be able to do this? I said, I don't know of their capabilities. You'd have to talk to them. I said, but do you want me to work on getting a an exorcist over here? And all of a sudden, he turned up his head, and I was not looking into the same eyes, nor did I hear the same voice. And it was 20 degrees colder in the room, just... I mean, Frost could have started Mm -hmm. any moment. Mm -hmm. And in a voice, he looked at me and said, what the blank are you still doing here if you can't help? Get the blank out of here. My arm reached up to the wall where there was a button to press to get the attention of the corrections officers. This is right in the reception area where people come in. And I hit the button, and it seemed like the door popped open right away. And an arm grabbed my a hand grabbed my arm and pulled me out it was the corrections officer that had brought me there mm-hmm. and he wouldn't let go of my arm and he had both arms his hands on my right arm and he walked me towards away and I said what are you doing john he goes you need to come with me and I walked into a conference room and he sat me down he said are you all right i said what's wrong john he says you have no color in your face are you are you ill and i realized no I was frightened, but I was not ill. And so he said, hang on. He gets on the radio and says so-and-so the conference room. And they brought in another young corrections officer, and he sat down with me. And then John came in with a cup of coffee, and I drank. And apparently my color had come back. And, right. and then uh, what was interesting about that was that uh, I had realized this. So I went to see my rector... And matter of fact, I wasn't even a deacon yet. Mm-hmm. And I went uh, I went to see uh, my rector and told him this experience. He said, What did you do? I said, As soon as he said that, I said, Blessed Mother be with me. Holy Spirit be with me. Blessed Mother be with me. That's what I was saying as I reached out. And he said, You did the right thing. He said, Don't even deal with men like that. So that was it. Yeah, wow. that was frightening. That was frightening. He went on to federal prison.
1: Did he? Mm-hmm. Oh. So there
2: was no exorcism? Or he was gone purge, two days later. No. Oh. By the time I got a lullaby arranged, it was mm-hmm. too late.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, oh, that's certainly a, sober,
2: a sobering story. <laughs> yeah. The most frightening thing that ever happened to be in there.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. <clears throat> Encounter with evil. Right.
0: Okay, well, we're, we're coming up on the break. And, Deacon, we certainly want to thank you for coming in today. Sure. You know, coming through the snow. Uh, Well, I I have snow plow tires. (laughs) Dashing through the snow. It's been a great segment. It's been very interesting. (laughs) I wish we had more time because I'm sure you've got a lot more stories. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, you kind of ended on a sobering thought there, but uh, we'll have Dreen after the break start us out with a joke to kind of uh, (laughs) – But bring us back up a little bit. Can, right, we can pray
1: you. for him, the man who oh, needs yeah, very much. So, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes, thanks, Deacon. God Good bless. to see you. God
0: thank bless you, you too.